0: Lob Talk Radio. <clears throat>
1: Well, I guess we'll cut that intro a little bit. Good morning. good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Uh, I'm your host, Ted Roderico, and I'm not sure what happened to the audio here, but uh, it appeared to uh, want to fast forward. I said I was going to try and speed things up here tonight, but uh, not quite that fast. Anyways, welcome to the show. It's a Thursday evening, of course, and, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Got a great show for you tonight. Uh, going to be starting things off here in just a moment. Uh, Coach's Corner, of course. I've got my panel all ready to go. And then a little bit later on, uh, I'm going to be joined by Mike Meyer. Uh, he's the Director of Education uh, of the Evans Scholars Foundation up in the Chicago area, uh, he's with the uh, uh, Western Golf Association, and we're going to talk to him a little bit uh, on the second half of the show. And uh, but uh, as I said, first we're going to start off with Coach's Corner. Just to remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday evenings from six to eight p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, best way to find us: go to BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the show's link. And uh, of course, we are live as I said Thursday from six to eight p.m. Central. And uh, if you want to speak to the guests or call in uh, anytime during the live broadcast, you're welcome to do so by uh, calling area code 646-716-4667. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Or you can email questions or comments to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're interested in coming on the show, if you're a golf professional, whether you're a player, teacher, coach, or somebody, uh, maybe an entrepreneur that has something that you'd like to share uh with my audience i'd love to have you again you can reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com also update every week on facebook go to facebook.com forward slash golf talk live blog you can get the link there as well and also you can follow me on twitter at ted and buck ceo and ceo of course is capital letters and thank you very much uh as always for all the recent followers uh, on my twitter account um as I mentioned, I've got a great show for you tonight, uh, Coach's Corner here. I've got three great uh, professionals, John Hughes, um, Allison Kurt, and Brandon Stukesbury, uh, who've all been on the show before. And I'm going to give you just a, a sort of a quick intro of all three of them, and then uh, we'll get in right into the discussion. Uh, John, as I mentioned, a good friend of mine, he's been on the show many, many times. Uh, he's a PGA Master Professional as well as the Vice President of North Florida PGA Section, and he's the recipient of the 2013 PGA of America Horton Smith Award. Uh, as well as a top 30 instructor for Golf Tips magazine. Uh, one of the good ones out there, of course. Uh, also, uh, Allison Kurt, uh, she's joining me here as well. She's been on many times, not only as a panelist, but also as a guest. And she's also a PGA Master Professional in Instruction, and as well as an, a uh, LPGA Class A member, and uh, one of 11 women to achieve the highest PGA credential uh, earned by an instructor. Uh, she's had over 27 years of competition background and has recently played in three uh, LPGA Tour majors. Uh, She earned the 2015 LPGA uh, Teacher and Club uh, Professional National Teacher of the Year honor, as well as the uh, LPGA uh, Teacher and Club Professional uh, Western Section Teacher of the Year award in 2012 and 2015. Uh, She's uh, set to contribute not only, again, to Golf Tips magazine, but she'll be featured a number of times in segments on the golf channel this year as well. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, She's currently the director of instruction at the wood ranch golf club and is the assistant women's golf coach at California state university in Northridge. And she also currently practices as a marriage and family therapist, uh, registered intern uh, while she's on her way to completing her doctorate degree in clinical psychology uh, or physiology uh, with uh, an emphasis in sports psychology um, so she's, uh, well, well-rounded in all aspects of not only golf, but, uh, in, in sports, uh, psychology and, and so forth. Finally on the panel, Brandon Stooksbury. He's the director of instruction at the prestigious Idle Hour Club in Macon, Georgia. He's ranked in, uh, Golf Digest Best in State Instructor Rankings for Georgia and honored as the 2015 Central Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year. Uh, Brandon specializes in competitive player development and enjoys teaching players of all levels from beginner right up to the PGA Tour players. Um, Allison and gentlemen, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Um, Ted, I'll tell you again what, I,
2: next, time, next time you ask me to be on the show, I don't know about these two guests because my ego is very wounded right now uh, after <laughs> hearing their bios
1: compared to mine. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we
2: we're going to have to talk about this in the future. You got a couple of pretty good people on with me here.
1: Well, it's, <laughs> I I I agree wholeheartedly and I tell you I, my ego's been bruised many times over the last several years having a lot of you guys on here so I appreciate it very much. Um, as I said you know I, I appreciate you guys giving uh, your time. I know it's not always easy uh, coming from the lesson T right you know right out uh, onto the show so um, thank you very much. All right let's get started right into the discussion tonight. One of the things I want to talk about um, is, is the golf swing in general. I want to necessarily get into the mechanics and things like that but I thought a good way to start, and John I 'm going to let you start, and then we're going to go to Allison and then Brandon and then we'll we'll flip the switch and and, and start to, uh, with one of the others first. Um, I, I want to talk about some of the mis, uh, the common misunderstandings or misconceptions if you will, about the golf swing in general uh, from the public's perspective what are what are some things about the golf swing that maybe the general public tends to uh, misunderstand or just doesn't get uh, in, in their uh, pursuit of, of improving their, their golf game. So John, i want to start with you um, based on your experience. What are some of the misunderstandings that uh, the average folks out there uh, have about the golf swing? Well, the
3: first thing I'd say is they get so wrapped up in positions and technical things, getting the club back that they forget the club's got to get through. And I, I see a whole lot of people just not finishing swings fully I'm worried about all these positions. Not that they're not important, but most people are probably best just to think about target. How do I get the club through the ball, and how do I square the face? And when you simplify it as that, most people, I I tell you, most people I teach are going to at least hit it a little further and a little straighter, and they get the other misconception, it's really not a misconception, I think Allison will agree with this, is people get so wrapped up in thinking about these smaller items, such as where is my club at this particular point in my swing, they forget about what the game's about, and that's to go play it. And I find myself quite often with people who are paralyzed by too much analysis, reminding them it's a game that you play, not necessarily a game that you pinpoint is from a technical standpoint of view with all due respect to the better players, which I've taught quite a few, a lot, most golfers, they do have the athleticism to do that, but not necessarily the time commitment to fulfill it. And you're probably better off just sticking to some basics and really thinking about how, how are they playing? You know, am I playing smarter with the skills I currently have? And then once they have the time to devote to the mechanics, to the, the detailed mechanics that make the world class players world class players, when you have the time to commit to it, that's probably the better option.
1: Right. Um, Allison, what about that? Great, great points, John. Thank you. Um, Allison, what about that? Uh, you know, John. Uh, referred to you obviously because he knows that you you play competitively as well as as teach um do a lot of your students get kind of hung up or caught up in in position uh you know where the golf club is at, at any given time and maybe focus a little bit too much on that instead of just sort of having a free-flowing swing what are some of the uh, misunderstandings uh, or, or misconceptions if you will um that that you've experienced uh, either yourself or or even with some of your students
0: for most of my students, they tend to usually everyone has their own unique uh, piece of their swing that they're caught up on. Um, and when they're looking at maybe video analysis, they may be losing sight of the entire picture of what we're looking at and just really focusing on some little nuance that, that tends to trigger them. So most students, in my opinion, tend to to look at positions and then they have sort of this model in their head that they compare themselves to, whether they've seen that model on TV or in magazines or instructional uh, tips. And so some of the common things that I see um, that really, really trigger me is keeping your head down. That's probably the most common is, oh, I I must not have kept my head down. And I I really try to coach my students to say we we don't keep our head down. I I try to change that and reframe it to staying in posture, and also staying mm-hmm. connected to the ball, whether that connection is through their eyes, through their chest, or through their posture. So um, keeping your head down, we need to change our language in, in terms of all the amateurs across the world that we don't need to keep our head down. And there's there's really great examples uh, for professional players on tour who literally do not keep their head down and win bunches of money on tour. And one of those players is on a stamp. She didn't really keep her head yep. down. She looked up early in terms of... Um, where her eyes were in position to the ball, but she stayed in posture very, very nicely. So she's usually able to make great, uh, great contact. The second most common in my, uh, my work is keeping the left arm straight for a right-handed player. And they, they see all of these really athletic, fantastic athletes on TV with their left arm straight uh, for the majority of, of players. And they feel like they need to emulate that too. And so when I really kind of explore with them, well, what's the purpose for you of keeping your left arm straight? And then show them a bunch of examples of either tour professionals or um, other players who don't keep it straight. It starts to break down some of those beliefs about why it needs to be this way. So I agree with uh, the the above statements in terms of a lot of players look at positions and think that if they don't get into that position, then they're not going to make solid contact with the golf ball which which I don't agree with. We can be in a lot of different positions, take a look at Jim Furyk, and still go out yep. and, and break some records on the golf course.
1: Yeah, exactly. Some great uh, great points, Allison, as well. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with what both of you said. I think that, you know, people get hung up on, on too many things. I just want to add one thing about the, what you were just saying, Allison, about keeping that left arm straight. I think a lot of people misunderstand that, And and again, I think some of the terminology that we've used over the years uh, has kind of stuck and people have taken it literally. I know as well with, you know, keeping the head down, I think people misunderstand what what really um, was meant by that. It was, as you pointed out, was really uh, keeping a connection with the golf ball. And I know a lot of amateurs fall into this by, you know, by sort of keeping that head down. They get their chin almost into their, um, you know, into their upper chest to the point where they can't actually make a free-flowing turn in their backswing uh, and, and, or follow through. And, and it's, you know, they're kind of digging that chin in. Um, Brandon, I want to throw something just slightly different to you, if you don't mind, um, s- s- still on the same theme in that, but I think one of the other misconceptions that hasn't been mentioned yet is, is sort of from a, the power game, if you will. I think a lot of people think golf is a power game. You've got to, you know, you've just got to grip it and rip it. Of course, they all remember John Daly, um, after the, uh, was it the 91 uh, PGA championship that he won? And you know he had that come out with that you know saying grip it and rip it and and uh, everybody sort of wanted to emulate that. Um, what about from that pat- aspect as well? A lot of misconceptions about the power game. People think that they've got to just murder the ball in order to uh, to make some good golf shots.
2: Well, I think there's a I think there's a basic misunderstanding about the 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 whole analytical part of the game. And what I mean is I don't think people understand the analytics that require that are required to play good golf, um, and I think that's one example of them. You know, you, you, there's no question statistically at the upper levels of the game, and by upper levels of the game I mean the elite, collegiate level, um, mini-tour level, and professional level, there is no question an advantage to hitting the ball farther. Um, usually that means they get to play less club into a green than somebody that they're playing against. Um, and, and even if they're coming from the rough, they're more accurate using two clubs less than they would be from the fairway with, you know, two clubs more. It just doesn't bear out quite the same as you get down into the, into the amateur levels of golf. Now, make no mistake, I'm not saying you can mishit your driver and hit it out of play and hit it in the woods and, and top it and, you know, and do all those things and still play great golf. You have to be able to advance the ball forward and it needs to go farther with a driver than any other club in your golf bag. If you want to be able to, Mm. to play decent golf, but you absolutely do not have to be able to hit it 295 yards to shoot 77. Right. Mm. Um, And that's what I mean about the analytics of the game. I mean, I, you know, I spend, I spend a lot of my day teaching competitive players, either, you know, juniors or college players or, or mini tour players, and they don't understand You know, the the most accurate ball striker on planet Earth, the guy that leads the the stat category of greens and regulation on a PGA Tour, still misses 30% of the time.
1: Right. The most accurate
2: man on planet Earth misses 30% of the time. You know, somebody today was floored when I told them that from 15 feet, the average tour player makes roughly 25%. From 15 feet, one in four. You know, yep. they're they're 50-50 from eight feet,
0: you know, and I, and
2: I, part of that comes from TV, right? You know, they watch it on TV, and it's a highlight reel on the weekend. Sure. Um, you know, and you don't see the other stuff, and sometimes it's easy to lose sight, but I, I think distance rolls right into that. People have this misconception because they see the highlight reel of somebody on tour hitting it very, very far, and they assume that that's required to be able to play good golf, and it's absolutely not. Um, you can still right. play some great golf without hitting it three hundred yards. Um, if you can keep it in play and advance it forward with your driver, usually that's pretty good to get to most people's
1: goal right and 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 also too i you know uh, what I was also alluding to was just the fact that um with the actual golf swing itself I, I think a lot of players feel that the the harder they swing at it is going to give them that extra distance. And we know that that's not true. There's, you know, if it's not in in proper sequence, it's, it's going to create a myriad of problems. So um, great points uh, by all three of you. Um, Thank you for that. And, and I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of many other misunderstandings and misconceptions, if you will, I'm sure about the golf swing that people have, but I just wanted to, to talk about a few of them because I think people still, I still see posts and things on blogs all the time where people are asking sort of the similar questions and, and, uh, you know, inquiring about some of the things that you guys just discussed. And I, I just thought it was worth mentioning tonight. Um, Allison, we're going to jump to you here first. And um, what I would like for, for each of you to do, and, and as I said, Allison, we'll go with you first. But um, I, I want you to talk about, um, and, and please, you know, give an example or two if you want, um, what a player can learn from his or her failures on the golf course. Maybe give some examples of students that you've been working with on on course. Um, maybe some situations that didn't go the way that they thought, Um, what were you able to help them or what were they able to learn from those mistakes that have helped uh, at at a later point?
0: That's a really good question because I think through the relationship that is built with the coach and the student, you know, you have a lot of dialogue and check in with your student um, on every lesson to say, okay, what are we, what are we focusing on and and where, where are we going to go with, um, learning from our, our previous experiences. And so I like to hear what my student has been doing since I've last seen them in terms of, talk to me about your round. What are things that you liked? What are things that you didn't like? And so as much as I want to emphasize the positive pieces, because I think sometimes we do sure. get too focused on what went w- wrong and, and what are the flaws, I want to focus on the positive pieces first. But then what are some of the things that we can, we can improve on and work on? And so sometimes it just comes from really good questioning from the coach um, to find out what those things are. Um, And a lot of times students might distort what they think went wrong. So, for example, um, I have this really great story of a student that I've been working with since November, and he he was going to leave the game of golf. He was so frustrated that he was going to give up the game of golf, and this was something that he wanted to enjoy in retired life. And so I felt like, gosh, he's really reaching out to me, and I've got to keep this guy in the game. And part of his concern was that his driver wasn't um, going the way he wanted it to. Therefore, it took away from enjoyment from the game. And so fast forward to uh, July of this year, so it's been Mm -hmm. about nine months that we've been working together, and he's staying in the game. He brought his handicap from a 17 down to a 10, and his relationship with his driver has changed where it's not so toxic. And he learned from adversity on the golf course that it wasn't his driver, that there mm-hmm. were some other elements of his game, including his mental game, that were limiting his enjoyment of just being on the golf course and having fun. And so I think we really do learn a tremendous amount, if we're open to look at it, what happens on the golf course for us. And it may not be what we think it is. So for this particular student, he thought that it was all his driver. And if the driver would right. just get fixed, then life would be great. Well, we learned that there were some other pieces, that there was more, mm-hmm. more hitting greens in regulation that really took his, his scoring average down, that making more up and downs really took his scoring average down. And uh, so once the pressure was relieved from the driver, surprisingly enough, the driver started to respond and perform much better, and we didn't even have to do a lot of coaching on that piece. So I would encourage all students to really do – Sort of like a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats of their own personal golf game, and then have a really deep conversation with your coach, hey, let's look at some of these pieces um, and how can I, how can I improve on them um, that fit in line with with your goals?
1: Well said and, and a great uh, great example. Um, you know what a lot of people don't realize is is the driver. The only function really for the driver is to show up in the golf course um, and, and be there in your golf bag. And, and it's really what you do with it um, is going to dictate how, how it's going to respond in the golf course. And you're, that's, a, that's a great point, Alison, because a lot of people get uh, – and Brandon was sort of alluding to that as well um, a little bit, um, you know, getting caught up with, with their driver and, and so forth. And I think a lot of people um, you know, tend to do that when the driver's not working well – they forget about all the rest of the game. They just, you know, don't really pay attention. And you were able to, to very eloquently give an example here of, of a little digging a little deeper. You were able to uncover and help that individual uncover some other issues within their golf game. And once those issues were addressed and improvement was made, suddenly the initial uh, concern wasn't really as big of a concern anymore. And, uh, and kudos to you for, for keeping uh, this gentleman, uh, Uh, playing golf actively again and and not uh, not giving it up and and uh, you know Brandon that that goes to um, really a testament to a a great coach and great teacher professional that Allison is is we've got a lot of players out there that are are frustrated as she alluded to in the beginning and uh, we've got to figure out something to do so let's hear an example that you maybe have uh, of where some of your students and I know we hate to use the term failure but I think we learn more from our failures than we do our successes. So what are some examples, uh, maybe an example that you have that you could share with the, with the listeners tonight?
2: Well, I, I, I feel like I can make a pretty compelling argument that you can't have
1: success without
2: failure. Um, right. Because failure is necessary to know what success is. And mm-hmm. I, let, me, let me give you a great example. I think as adults, oftentimes we forget how to learn. And I'm not talking about how to learn a new language or how to learn a math problem. That's not what I mean. I mean a motor skill. I'm in the backyard yep. the other day and I'm I'm throwing uh throwing a little ball with my three and a half year old little girl, right? And and I get maybe five or ten feet away from her and I say, Okay, honey, throw me the ball. And she threw the ball and it went about a foot and a half. Right? <laughs> now, by by most of our players' standards, if you were trying to hit a wedge shot or a chip shot to the hole and it went two feet, right, they would call that Mm -hmm. a mistake. And my question is, would you call that a mistake for my little three-and-a-half-year-old girl? Well, the answer to that is, of course not, right? It's not a mistake. Mm -hmm. She gave me her best attempt at the effort required to throw the ball to me. So I picked up the ball and I handed it to her again. And I pointed at the logo on my shirt. And I said, no, honey, throw it right here at this logo. And you could look into her eyes at three and a half years old and you could see her wheels turning. Right. And her little brain was saying to her, you know what? I tried to do that the last time and I did what I thought was necessary and it didn't work. So I'm now going to try it again. And she threw it about 10 feet over my head. (laughs) Wow. About 10 minutes later all I kept doing was handing her the ball back and saying, here, throw it right here at my chest, right here at this little funny logo on my chest. And in about 10 minutes, she had it. But she didn't know what success was, meaning the required effort to accomplish the task, without Mm -hmm. first messing it up a couple of times and learning that that's not what's required, right? That's how Mm -hmm. you learn. That's how every person on earth learned to walk it's how we learned to stand on our two feet. We would get up and then we would fall over to the right. And then we'd get up the next time. And as soon as we'd feel ourselves falling to the right, we'd know that didn't work. So we'd lean left and then we'd fall left. And after two or three months of trying that, we finally learned how to walk. But as adults, we, we haven't had to do any of that stuff in many, many years. I mean, I remember seven or eight years ago, my wife buying me an acoustic guitar and I didn't know how to play guitar. I didn't know the first thing about it. That was one of the most incredible experiences to me And learning what it was like to learn a motor skill again and feeling the fear of failure, the fear of playing in front of that coach, knowing that I couldn't get my fingers to the cord the right way and it was going to make a weird buzzing noise. Well, of course it is. I'm a novice. I'm brand new. But if I don't try it, then I don't know what it's like to fail. And if I don't know what it's like to fail, I don't know what succeeding is. And so I I admire Allison and what she says to focus on the positive, and that gets a lot into the coaching and how we have to make sure people stay positive, and I am totally on board with that. But I do not believe we can succeed without first knowing what is not succeeding. And that's that's where I think failure comes into play. It's an important part of what we do. It is 100% unavoidable everyone yep. will fail at something, sometime, someplace, somehow. And so if we can just learn to embrace it as a part of the learning process instead of a negative experience, then I think we're one step closer.
1: Well
0: said. If I could, um, add, if yeah. I could add on to that for a second, I think that if we just reframe how we look at the word fail um, and yep, look at it right. more in terms <clears throat> of a first attempt in learning, literally f-a-i-l uh, it tends to be a little bit less negative because really that's right. what um, we term failure is it's just a really first attempt in learning
2: yeah that's exactly. right i couldn't agree with more That's that's brilliant i got to write that down first attempt in learning i like
1: that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that as well um john uh i know you've got an example as well uh that you would like to share and and uh we're, we're all ears
3: Uh, It's hard to beat those two stories. The the more practical (laughs) of stories I could probably give you is uh, just today had two different students text me. I I had an office day today and one played a regional mid-am and quote unquote failed miserably in his eyes. But the text was so positive that, He didn't realize he could putt so well. It was the first time he had gotten below 25 putts in over a year. And throughout our time together, I kept emphasizing to him how good of a putter he was. He's so hung up on ball striking. Well, the ball striking got the better of him today. But his texts were so positive in what he learned and what he got out of that. He's ready to go on to the next tournament, which is good. That's a positive sign. Uh, His ball striking for him that's more of a ego thing and we deal with that on a regular basis but just the humility of realizing that he's got something he can be confident in now goes much further than just the golf course it gets into his gym routine his nutrition routine he was just very vibrant with it and then from a, a completely different perspective but yet still competitive, recently had someone try out for a high school team, a very competitive young man, transferred from another sport, if you want to use that term. And the expectation level was just incredible. And the the dealing with failure is extremely hard for him because of that expectation level. It's his success at another sport, which goes back to what Brandon and Allison were talking about that it's uh, it's okay not to do what you are what you think you're capable of doing because you do have to learn. The analogy I use similar to Brendan's is your equilibrium is just not ready to balance it all. That is how you learn to walk. The equilibrium takes a little while to balance it all out, and you've got to retrain that, and it takes a while. The patience level for this young man was incredible leading up to tryouts, and it was through – repetition, remembering how to learn, Uh, but not necessarily the failures because he really didn't have a whole lot. He's only been playing golf three months. He ends up making the golf team. Uh, It was a testament to his work ethic, but more importantly, it was a testament to, I just want to go learn to play, and that's what we emphasized as many times as he didn't hit good shots. The emphasis of realizing he was still in play. The ball was still there for the next shot and the target was still in front of him, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. And it was built off of this unrealistic expectation of, i got to hit it like Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. I mean, those are his two idols. And right. he, if he can't hit it that far, he deems it a failure, where as soon as he gets out on the golf course and it's in play, and he realizes, hey, I can make this. I can actually do this. It's a totally different mindset, which led to a positive result formalities on the team. Yeah. Let's try to fix some things, but it always goes back to what did you do on the golf course? What are we going to take from the golf course? And can you take your current skills and your current positive attitude out there with the skills you have and and make some success stories? Cause that's what breeds the confidence is the success.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, some great uh, great examples uh, everyone that was uh, that was fantastic you know it 's interesting when you listen to, to players um, and, and i 'm sure we 've all heard some examples of this, but um, you know a player coming off the golf course and you know they've they 've shot a pretty decent score they've played overall very well, but for some reason and i don 't know what it is and, and again i think it 's an ego thing, but you know while i wasn 't hitting my driver that great um, they they don 't focus on Uh, as you pointed out, Alison, they don't focus on the positive things they did in the round that right away they're zeroing in on the negative things. My driver wasn't working. My putter wasn't working. Um, Instead of celebrating, uh, you know, some of the more positive things on, and that doesn't mean that you forget uh, or that you negate uh, some of the issues. Those are things that can be worked on later on. But if you shoot an overall good round, just because you hit two or three bad drives, I mean, how many professionals have we seen that won tournaments um, maybe, you know, hitting a few bad drives. But again, as you point out, John, they were in play, Uh, throughout their round and ended up uh, being successful overall Um, you don't see them in their interview and saying well you know I won the tournament but um, you know my driver sucked or stunk or whatever you know so it's kind of interesting sometimes when you hear some of the amateurs uh, talk about their golf game all right I want to fast forward just a little bit here and uh, just keeping timing going here Um, and Brandon we're going to start with you this time um, for some, depending on where you are in the country, uh, obviously in the northern states, uh, we're, we're creeping very closely. It's, it's already almost the middle of August uh, to sort of that mid-season for some of the golfers. Um, they don't have the advantages of, of uh, say, John and I and, and uh, Brandon, of course, you in, in Georgia and John down in, in Florida, and myself, and, of course, Allison out in California. Um, so they're in a little bit shorter season. Um, is this a good time for an assessment of your game, uh, you know, obviously you want to sort of be assessing along the way. Um, but is this a good opportunity for you to, to really do a, a deeper assessment of, of what's been happening so far in the first part of the season? Uh, and if so, what, what can we uh, – how can we use that information to uh, wrap up uh, for the, the second half of the season? Brandon, I'll let you go first, then we'll uh, go to Allison and or John and then Allison.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, if you look at the elite levels of sports, And coaching and and athletics, everybody periodizes their training and their coaching. And what I mean by that is you have an in-season and you have an out-of-season. Perhaps there are multiple seasons and multiple, you know, out-of-seasons in a year, but you Mm -hmm. always change what you work on and how you work on it depending on whether you're in-season or out-of-season. You know, I do it with my college players. I do it with my professional players. And, you know, we're, we're working on things like technique changes or making motion pattern adjustments out of season where there really isn't any competition pressure. And then somewhere shortly before we start to get into competition season, we start to transition into that competition training mode where we're not really making any technique changes at all. We're, we're more training to try to transfer the new skills into a golf course environment. And so I think if you're working with a coach, I would hope the coach would be doing those things. And to answer your mm-hmm. question, you know, yeah, right. if your season's getting ready to wrap up in the middle to the end of September, then, yeah, perhaps it's time you start to assess what statistically, how does my golf game look or how did it perform over the course of this season? And then based on that analysis or assessment, as you called it, then what do I need to spend my time in the offseason working on so that I can come into the next in season with that part improved? Um sometimes that's harder for an amateur to do if you're not working with a coach because part of what a coach will do will help you assess and help you decide what to focus on and what maybe not to focus on. Um, You know, so it's a little harder, but, but yeah, I think if you're, I think if you're coming to the end of the season an assessment's always a good idea because it gives you data and information to know what to try to focus on during the off season. I mean, for those of us coaches, we don't have off seasons, right? Off season just means the training changes. It doesn't mean right. we put the golf clubs away, <laughs> you know. So right. uh, I think it depends on how much golf you play and how much coaching you know you're you're involved with. But but yeah, I think assessments at the end of season are always a great idea.
1: Perfect, um, John. What about yourself? Um, good time for uh, I mean, again, you and I are in uh, in some warmer climates as as Brandon is um you know we want to certainly have our our students be assessing along the way but uh for those that maybe don't have the advantage of working with a, a full-time coach or, or something like that um what can the amateurs do to, to sort of assess their game what should they be looking at at this point uh, of the season and and uh, i'm going to throw sort of a, an additional question in here um and again i'm referring obviously as brandon uh, pointed out obviously there, there's different uh, in seasons and out seasons but um, is it too late for some of the the folks up north let's say as an example again uh, is it too late in the season for them to make major swing changes let's say they've they've discovered they've got some issues is it too late for them to make a major swing change at this point as well um, let's tackle both of those if we can
3: Let, let's tackle the latter first it's going to depend on the person and what their commitment level to their game is as to whether they can or not. And commitment level has a lot to do with time and time management. It takes a while to make a swing change. The professionals I've worked with, I'm sure Brendan will agree with this. It's a good two, three, four week process of being able to create the change, repeat the change, merge it into a a playable state and then test it under real time conditions. So it, it, something that can be done but it, it does take a commitment of time and some dedication uh, it's not for the faint of heart it, it's somebody. It's for somebody who's got some type of goal in mind maybe it's the end of the season club championship or maybe there's a amateur tournament in that particular state that, that's a big tournament that you're really prepping for hopefully you've been prepping before now but right. to make that major change it, it's going to take quite a bit of time and and dedication and you can't let the frustration get to you from the amateur standpoint of view. I think if everybody took a page out of all sports playbooks and what I mean by this is we're now deeper into the baseball season when it gets deeper into the football season or deeper into the basketball season coaches and players they're looking at film. They're looking at data and stats. They're looking at a whole lot of things and they're probably pinpointing one point of improvement that can be made that can get them to that next plateau, get them in the playoffs, get them to the championship game, whatever the case may be. I think if, if the amateur were to sit down with or without a coach and just take an inventory of, that's what I call it, is an inventory of, or an assessment of what they're currently doing, and not necessarily pick out the biggest weak link, that you may not have time to do that. That may go back to that major swing change we were just talking about. But if you picked out one area that you feel like, you know what, I do have some confidence in this, I do know I can do better at this, and because you're passionate about it and because you truly feel like, you know what, I've got a there's some potential here, based on my current commitment level, based on my other priorities and time constraints, pick out that one thing to focus on, just like Brendan was uh, – I'm sorry, that that Allison was talking about with the driver. She didn't really mm-hmm. emphasize the driver as the weak link. It, it was a lot of other things, probably one or yep. two big things, that built the confidence to turn that driver on, and, and the person never knew it. I think you can take that same type of strategy to the middle to end of the season and, and get some things done. I see that I've seen that quite a bit over the years managing and operating golf schools where people will come in the fall and early winter because they're trying to get a jump on the following mm-hmm. spring. But you'll get that late summer person who's got that tournament, and when we focus on just one aspect, not necessarily the weakest one, but something right there in the middle that can carry the rest of it through the season. Yeah, ninety-five percent of the time that person's gonna some improvement by the time they stir the clubs away.
1: right well said. Um, Allison, um, your thoughts on that as well uh, coming mid or, or near end season uh, assessments uh, obviously it's a good idea. Uh, what do you try to do with your students and and also um, you know again does it depend on the level of commitment for major swing chains and and how do you uh, how do you handle a situation like that where maybe a student comes out? Uh, needs uh, a major swing change, but maybe doesn't have the time or resources to make that kind of a full-time commitment. How do you how do you tackle that uh, scenario?
0: So it's a little different for me out here in in Los Angeles because we really don't have any seasons. But I completely <laughs> understand the concept because I grew up quit, in Missouri, very okay. <laughs> seasonal. <laughs> so golf is twenty-four-seven all year round. There is no seasonal change, and and really that's. Um, Maybe to a little bit of a fault because some of the kids out here don't ever get a break from their season. Right. I mean, I personally grew up in in a state where every three months you were changing sport because the weather changed, and so when it was snow yeah. time, you were indoors playing sports. So, in terms of um, how it kind of works out here for for my students, is instead of looking at it seasonally, I have been set up um, quantifiable goals in terms of like months. So whether it's a three month, six month, twelve month goal. So we're coming into mid-season now. If we're looking at a calendar year, and I've already had the conversation with almost all of my continuous students, where are we at now? So we've come through half of the year. We set up some yearly goals. How close are we to getting those goals? If those goals are going to end in, let's say, December, and to reevaluate either our teaching plan, our um, our play schedule, uh, the training. What do we need to adjust in order to still kind of accomplish those goals? So instead of looking at it as in-season and out-of-season, I tend to have my students set up more goals in terms of months and then checking in with them periodically, are we doing the right things to get there? And so if one of those goals happens to incorporate a major swing change, and I'll, I'll use that word, but I don't like to use that phrase, major swing change, because I think that's already going into the relationship on a bad note, like we're making a major overhaul. No, we're just going right. to change the motor patterns in your golf swing to help you hit it better. I think that takes a lot of pressure off of the students so that they don't see this huge mountain that they have to climb, uh, but they see some different patterns in their, um, in their motor ability that they need to refine. Um, the level of commitment is so instrumental because if I have a student who is uh, an out-to-end type of swinger for 30 years who now wants to hit a draw, that's probably not going to happen in a 60-minute session once a month with no no practice in between. And so we have the discussion in terms of what is this going to look like in order to accomplish it. So, you know, how do you see the swing change looking? What are you willing to put into it in order to get out of it what you want? And then from there I can coach on uh, what that frequency might look like. And if someone is on board and they're willing to commit to that frequency, great, then we're going to be on a good timeline. If they're not willing to commit to that frequency of practice or training, then we need to reevaluate the expectations because it's just not going to happen. And I think a lot of times students overestimate how quickly uh, changes can be made. And I use myself as an example to help sort of normalize what that time period may look like. And I say, you know, I've been playing golf for a long time, and. Competing for a long, long time, and and I personally wanted to gain more club head speed um, in, in my golf swing. And it took me about 12 months to go up six miles an hour on my driver. And they're like six miles an hour. Well, that's nothing. And I'm like, well, six miles an hour, two yards, two to three yards per mile an hour. You do the math. And I'm in my mid 30s, and and I get to play golf maybe once a month. So in 12 months period of time I'd say that's that's not too bad and so I think they start to see wow this does take some time and if I'm going to make a big motor pattern change in my body I have to have a certain level of commitment in order to, to have that change and again a lot of that is just dialogue with the coach with the instructor um, sort of you know rationalizing what their expectations are and uh, making them fit with how, how they might meet their goals
1: yeah well well said Allison um, and and thank you for rubbing it in that you have uh, no season in in uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Come on out and visit
0: uh, anytime.
1: <laughs> I, I I can't complain. We're, we're, John, we do pretty good here in Florida, and, and and actually Brandon up in in Georgia, there where you are, um, we we do pretty good. We may not have it quite as good as as Allison does out there, but we're we're second best anyways. But um, <laughs> you know, I've got
3: it the reverse. It's too hot right now. I'm at, I'm off season right now. <laughs> well, then,
1: then you need to make a pilgrimage out to, uh, to LA and, and, uh, and take your, your game out that way. Um, I, I want to kind of go to a, I guess maybe kind of a fun question, if you will. Um, and, and, uh, I think John, we're back to you for, for first up. And then, um, uh, I'll, I'll what I'm going to do is I'm going to do since Al- Allison, since you just, um, finished up, I'll go John, Brandon, and then Allison. I'll let you trail up again here in the end. Um, a lot of golfers, of course, um, as we get closer into the fall season here, um, start thinking of maybe a little vacation trip. Uh, Maybe they want to go to Arizona and play some golf out there. Uh, A lot in this area like to go to Myrtle beach. Uh, You know, many of the, the, my fellow Canadians up there want to come down to Myrtle beach for maybe a a pilgrimage there or even Florida. Um, So what can some of the average players out there do to prepare for a golf vacation? Now I'm not talking about major things. They're coming for a week, wherever it is they're going, Arizona, whatever, you know, some of the place I just described, um, John, what should they do to prepare uh, to make sure that that's a successful vacation, that they're not going to end up, you know, getting too uh, sort of bollocked up, if you will, with, with too many changes in that what can they do to help make that uh, a positive experience for them uh, with respect to their golf game?
3: You said it to lead off the question. It's a three letter word that starts with an F fun. It, it is all about fun. And as you prep for any of these trips and, I've worked in Myrtle Beach, I've worked in Hilton Head, I'm, I'm in Florida. I've been to all the destinations through the golf schools that I've, that I've worked for and represented. The the real key there is fun. A lot of times everybody's going to get worked up over the camaraderie and the card playing at the end of the night, or maybe it's that special something you're doing with your spouse. That's what you ought to be focusing on. Golf is just Part of that trip when it Mm. comes to, Hey, I want to play better. Maybe there is some kind of incentive to play better. Uh, I'll use an example. I've got a really good friend in the Atlanta area. Who's a client. He's he works for a major car manufacturer who plays a lot of pro-ams on tour the Wednesday pro-ams. And Mm -hmm. his goal was, I want to contribute which I thought was a really, really healthy way of saying, hey, I want to play at my best, and I want to prep to play in these things because i got three or four other friends, maybe some clients going with me. And Mm -hmm. very much like the group from, say, Canada going to Myrtle Beach or the group from Michigan going to Phoenix or whatever the case may be, you get this expectation level up of what am I going to expect and what am I going to do and how am I going to get it done? you lost sight of why you're going. You're going because it should be fun that you're sharing the time with some people and you're going to play some golf courses you wouldn't normally necessarily play. So I, one of the things I tell people is research the golf courses you're going to play, try to look at aerial photography with the internet, the way it is, the way it is now. There's no reason not to just get some prep work in understanding the routing of the golf course. If you can get a 3d look at it with the hills and so forth, Go right ahead. The, the more information you have, the better. Uh, if it's a golf course that doesn't suit your game, you're a fader of the ball, and every hole's a turn to the left like NASCAR is. Don't try yeah. to create that draw because you're just not going to have enough time to do it unless you have the time commitment to do it. Can you can you go to your practice facility and simulate those holes? and sort of envision how you're going to play that slight fade of yours around the left-hand corner. Is it taking a different club and putting it in a different position, or is it blowing it over the corner with a bigger club because you've got the ability to do it? I think if you strategize that way with the current skills you have, you end up playing better. And then the other thing is pacing yourself. The pacing that you create prior to going is going to be the pacing you create while you're there. Uh, so many times I saw in Myrtle Beach people just in a hurry. Same in him. Yeah. Had a lot of the times here during the season. It's like, come on, let's hurry up and play because we got a dinner to go to or we have this to go to. Well, that kind of pacing started long before you ever showed up at the destination. It started prior to you ever getting there. So I would tell you, Rome wasn't built in a day. Neither is your golf swing and neither is your golf trip enjoy the moment, enjoy the moments that lead up to it, and put a realistic time plan together. Uh, Maybe pick out that one thing I was talking about before, that maybe this trip I want to see my putting improve, or I couldn't beat Joe last time. How do I beat Joe? Joe's weaknesses are this. So I'm not going to try to attack Joe's weaknesses, but I'm, I'm going to try to play the holes against Joe a little bit differently if we're in a match together. Uh, it's those kinds of things that can really keep the fun involved. You can stay competitive with it, yet it leads to realistic expectations versus ones that are going to be very difficult to live up to, especially if your sleep patterns are different, your meal patterns right. are different. I hear a lot. so many people say, man, I need a vacation for my vacation, especially after yeah.
1: something like that.
3: Uh, yeah, just pace yourself enjoy yourself that's what you're going for
1: well said um brandon how do we ramp up the fun factor on a trip like that um i know john's covered quite a bit here for us already but anything you want to add to it
2: <laughs> yeah. i mean you know i'm not sure what's left on the table john
1: uh, after that very
2: well look i i think john hits on a great point in preparation right i'll give you a great example i'm taking some guys to, uh, to Scotland next year, and I've already told them that I'm going to pick a time this winter when it's raining, it's windy, and it's cold, and I'm calling them all, and we're going to go out and play our golf course in the rain, in the wind, in the cold, right? And I'm yep. going to come up with some fun name, you know, the, the, the Making Scottish Open, you know, or something goofy, right? Uh, just to kind right. of simulate what it's going to be like. You know, John is absolutely right. It's all about fun. I, I, w- I would tell you... If you're going to make golf part of your vacation, then make it part of your vacation. Get there early enough to where you're not rushed. Get there early enough to where you can experience the facility. I mean, if you know, traditionally, if you're in a destination and there's a golf course that you have figured is worth playing in that destination, then more than likely that golf course in and of itself is a destination. Whether that means a fantastic practice facility or a great restaurant or, you know, an incredible view or, you know, a great sunset cocktail hour, you know, whatever it is, enjoy it, right? And and, and maybe instead of just sliding in the parking lot sideways three minutes before your tea time, uh, slathering sunscreen on as you're walking to the first hole and trying to get it all done fast enough to get home and, and you know, and go to dinner at the wherever you're going, enjoy it. So if you're going to do golf on a vacation, then book your vacation with the golf. And what I mean is give yourself a good six hours to, to, to enjoy it, to experience it. Right. I mean, I know there are plenty of golf courses in Myrtle Beach (coughs) and in Hilton Head where, you know, the bar and the scene out the back window when you're done and the cocktail is worth every penny you will spend and every moment you will spend drinking it. It's just awesome. Right. Um, and so I, Make it part of your vacation. Prepare, dress right. You know, if you're going to Scotland, bring a rain suit. Right, the last thing you want to do is be, you know, having paid seven <laughs> or eight thousand dollars to go on this trip and be freezing with the wind blowing because you didn't bring the right stuff. You know, rain suits right? are so, more
3: expensive over there too.
2: That's right. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think I think John's advice is golden. You know, do your research, do your planning. You know, do your planning on the golf course. Do your planning. You know, off the golf course, just enjoy it. If you're going to make it part of your experience, then experience it and have exactly.
1: fun Exactly. Well said. Um, Allison, I know the boys didn't give you a lot left to to add in there, but uh, I'm sure you can, you can squeeze something in.
0: <laughs> yeah, those are very, very uh, great answers. I, I would start off by saying I don't even know what a golf vacation is. What is that? <laughs> I think every time I've played golf, it's either been competition or – um, it's been traveling for, uh, for a purpose for that. So I'll have to look up the definition of a golf vacation and see what that's like. But um, many of the students that I do have will take sort of destination um, trips, and I think part of it is to to really have their expectations in line. You know, what's the purpose of their trip? More times than not, it's just to have fun. It's to relax. Sure. And so anything that they can do to um, to make that a reality. So, you know, both uh, Brandon and, and John have made the comments, you know, showing up prepared, making sure you mm-hmm. have all the right equipment. And I think just really having your entire trip planned out, you can, you can definitely be spontaneous and, and do some things last minute, but have some direction. You know, here's the golf courses that we're going to play. Get your, uh, your golf professional to sort of set up some tee times for you at some great golf courses. And emphasize less the mechanics. And the scoring outcome of the trip, and mm-hmm. focus more on the people that you're there with
1: yeah i i, I agree with that I, I think a couple of points I just want to make that I, I know has already been made, but uh, you know scale back the your expectations a little bit uh, as far as your play is concerned um, you, your primary function uh, on a golf trip, a golf vacation like that, whether you're going with a spouse or maybe uh, a few other couples or whether it's a guy's or a gals uh, uh, vacation you know go there first and foremost as john you uh, pointed out there is go and have fun um don't get all hopped up and, and worried about whether you're hitting every shot perfectly or not go there and have fun as uh, everybody pointed out do your research first and uh and sort of get the lay of the land if you will and allow yourself plenty of time to enjoy the experience especially the golf aspect of it uh, whether you go to myrtle beach uh, Arizona, Florida, or even out to California. If you're planning a trip out that way and you want to play some new, interesting golf courses, um, set it up, do some preparation and first and foremost, go and have fun and worry about working on your golf game. When you come home after the vacation, get, uh, together with your coach. Um, Allison and, and gentlemen, uh, as always, you guys did a great job. Uh, we, we've got to wrap it up now. I'm, I'm uh, out of time here, unfortunately, for Coach's Corner, but uh, interesting discussion, uh, some, some good viewpoints on, on the questions. I've, I had a few more questions left, but as I said, I'm out of time. But uh, very quickly, um, I'm going to go, uh, Allison, I'm going to give you the first option, uh, Brandon, and then John, I'll let you wrap it up. Uh, how can the folks reach out to you if they want to, or are interested in, in, in getting in touch with you?
0: Anyone can visit my website, com, and that's sort of like the main hub for any way to get in touch with me, whether it's through email, phone. I have a Facebook business page. I've got a Twitter account. I have some YouTube videos as well in terms of um, if you're looking for a couple of tips, feel free to watch some of those videos and also any sort of other Um, media that I'm in where I'm offering tips, I usually post stuff like that as well on that website, so Golf Tips Magazine or you can check out my golf channel uh, segments as well so AllisonKurtGolf.com.
1: Very good Uh, Brandon uh, what about yourself? How can the folks uh, get in touch with you and and reach out if they're interested? Yeah, Just like Allison, the website would be the best place It's just my
2: last name It's a little funny, it's S-T-O-O K S B U R Y dot com and everything I have, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, it's all under Stooksbury golf. And so, uh, I you know, I, I, do a little bit on all that stuff. And so please feel free to reach out, follow, uh, tweet, like, whatever those adjectives are. Uh, you know, I, I would love to
1: hear <laughs> from you, um, you know, anytime. Sounds good. Um, and John, last but not least, Thanks again for the honor of
3: being on with you, Ted, Allison, Brennan, my pleasure, and and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Uh, Anybody can reach me very similar to the other two, johnhughesgolf.com. That's the main hub. Uh, You can also find me at Falcons Fire Golf Club in the Kissimmee area of the Orlando, Florida, general location. Uh, Look for some changes in my website within the next 10 days or so, and uh look for some new programs going into the fall if you're heading this way
1: sounds good um guys thank you very much as always i enjoyed our discussion tonight and i hope that the audience out there uh was able to pick up some some good tips and and just one final thought on those of you planning maybe a fall vacation to some of the destinations we talked about um do your homework um Figure out where you're going to go once you've got a place established, and, and do as Brandon suggested. Maybe uh, try to emulate the situation, uh, the circumstance, if you can, back here at home uh, before you head over to to better prepare. Whether you're going overseas or whether you're going uh, maybe to a warmer climate or something, try to emulate the the circumstances best you can, and and uh, do your homework a little bit. But again, first and foremost, go and have fun. Um, Allison, John, and Brandon, thank you very much again for being on Coach's Corner. And I look forward to having you guys back next time.
3: Thank
1: you, thank you Ed. All right. Have a great week. You too. Okay. That was my, uh, my great, uh, panelists, uh, John Hughes, Allison Kurt and Brandon Stooksbury, uh, on the coaches corner panel here, first up on golf talk live. And now we're going to make way for a, a gentleman who, uh, has been a, a long time coming in the mix. We've been working on this for probably over the last month and a half, uh, to get him, uh, up and, and running on the, on the show here. I'm very excited to have him. Uh, his name is, uh, Mike Meyer. Uh, He's the Director of Education of the Evans Scholars Foundation, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Evans Scholars uh, Foundation and also uh, the Western Golf Association as well. We'll uh, put that all together here. Uh, Mike Meyer, as I said, has uh, been with the organization for more than 10 years. Uh, Mike was once an an Evans Scholar at uh, Marquette University himself and uh, has a passion for helping young caddies receive full housing and tuition scholarships to, to college. Uh, In his role as Director of Education, uh, Mike oversees the development of the overall Evans Scholars Foundation. Uh, He's helped students overcome the barriers of becoming caddies, uh, thus increasing the amount of Evans Scholars applicants each and every year. Uh, Prior to this, Mike served as the caddy and scholarship manager, uh, where he assisted in leading the foundation's caddy programs, as well as the prestigious Chick Evans Scholarship. Uh, and just a little bit about the Evans Scholarship Foundation itself. It was established in 1930 by the Western uh, Golf Association and famed amateur golfer, uh, Charles Chick Evans Jr. Uh, the Evans Scholarship Foundation provides full housing and tuition scholarships, as I mentioned, to uh, deser- deserving caddies across the country. Uh, the Evans Scholars Program is funded by contrib- uh, contributions from more than uh, over 28,000 Evans Scholars Par Club members, as well as proceeds from the BMW Championship. Uh, since the program's Inception nineteen thirty more than ten thousand caddies nationwide have graduated uh, as Evan scholars. Um, so it sounds like a great program and then I'm just lastly here I'm just going to uh, just sort of gloss over a little bit too as well about the Western Golf Association. It was founded in eighteen ninety nine to serve uh, golfing interests in the growing midwest. The WGA now has more than four hundred member clubs. The WGA conducts two prestigious amateur championships, the Western Amateur and the Western Junior, as well as the BMW Championship, which I've already mentioned. Uh, and it's uh, the third of four PJ Tour Fed- FedEx Cup uh, playoff events. Uh, the WGA promotes uh, the use of caddies and supports the Evans Scholars Foundation, which awards uh, college scholarships to caddies uh, with limited financial means. The WGA is a uh, driving force in the game and has respected charitable Cause uh, for thousands of supporters and distinguished leaders in the nation's golfing community. Uh, and without uh, further hesitation, let me welcome my very special guest, Mike Meyer. Good evening, hey, Mike, and welcome you. to Golf Talk. Welcome to Golf yeah, Talk thanks. Live. How are you? I'm doing very well.
4: Thanks for having me
1: uh it's uh, an honor and my and my pleasure uh let me just first say um i, I want to give just a, a very quick shout out before we get going into our conversation uh to Mallory Sturgeon who uh was instrumental in helping uh, arrange uh, getting you on the show and that so thank you Mallory if you happen to be uh, listening i appreciate uh, very much all your efforts in and uh, communicating uh, between the two of us and and uh, getting things set up so i want a special thank you to Absolutely. her as well um Mike, I, I just want to talk uh, first before we get into a little bit about the um, the, the scholarship, uh, Scholars Foundation, and also uh, the WGA a little bit. I want to just to maybe cap over a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about your background. Obviously, as I mentioned, you were a caddy yourself. Um, give us an idea of what you were doing uh, up to that point, and and what sort of led you into uh, an interest in becoming a caddy. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Um, so I. Grew up on the the south side of Chicago, so um, being the youngest of seven children, I had the opportunity to watch my older siblings caddy at uh, at Beverly. So by the time I got to me, it was less of a choice and more of a in a direct path, and uh, I was excited to for the opportunity. So um, had an opportunity to caddy at Beverly Country Club for in total nine years, but throughout that process um, and throughout high school, uh, I actually utilized that opportunity to apply uh, for the Evans scholarship. And I was very, very fortunate um, to be awarded to Marquette University and uh, caddied throughout um, the latter part of grade school, throughout high school, and then uh, throughout college as well. Uh, and then after uh, after I graduated from Marquette, uh, shortly after I graduated, an opportunity uh, presented itself with the Western Golf Association staff. So uh, i very much jumped at the opportunity and again feel very, very fortunate um to be involved with that. So um, you know, goes without saying, but I'm I'm very biased when it comes to the Western Golf Association and <laughs> Evan Scholars Foundation. Um without it I'd be uh uneducated, unemployed and uh my wife is actually an Evan Scholar alum as well, so I'd be I probably won't be married either. So uh I'm very biased.
1: <laughs> well great. A great, uh, a great plug for, for not only uh, your wife, but also for the uh, WGA as well, and, and uh, well said. Um, let's, let's talk about, uh, first off, for, for a lot of the folks, obviously most of the people tuning into the show, of course, are, are either avid golfers and, and many uh, professionals also tune into the program as well. But for those, uh, you know, maybe a handful or two out there that don't really understand what a caddy is uh, and what the function is, it's not just about carrying the bag, right? So let's talk a little bit more detail. What is the function, if you will, of a caddy?
4: Absolutely, uh, I think
1: Chick Evans probably said it at best. You um, know,
4: caddy, uh, caddy is really kind of the lifeblood of the game of golf. It's, um, golf is designed to be played, w- you know, with a caddy, and it's a, it's a walking sport. But it's there's a reason why every time you turn on the TV to watch a PGA event, um, you know, to a certain degree, it, it is somewhat of a team sport, um, and right. there's a reason behind that. So. Um, the last thing you know it's it, caddies very much aren't just bag carriers um you know obviously right. assisting with yardage and equipment management not only cleaning but uh managing the equipment throughout the round of golf but um you know sometimes depending on their their ability and the relationship with the golfer themselves especially some of uh some club caddies that will caddy for a uh, a particular golfer more than you know more than a couple of times you start to build a, a real relationship with them so sometimes they're uh you know, strictly caddy, sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're therapists, um, you know, sometimes they'll they'll talk you off the edge and, and whatnot. So they do play a, a critical role in, um, in really enhancing the game. You know, obviously if you look at the top golf courses really in the country, um, there's a reason why, you know, the vast majority of them have a caddy program, um, because they add so much value to that. You know, if, uh, if, if I'm a, a member at a club, and I want to bring three guests um to mm-hmm. come play you know they're going to we're going to show up and maybe have lunch hit some balls play around the golf maybe have uh you know dinner afterwards and you know there's a very strong possibility that the individual who's going to play the most uh significant play you know the the biggest role in the day for any any golfer whether it's a member guest or otherwise um it's honestly the the head golf professional or the general manager and no offense to any of them, but, you know, they're obviously very good at their crafts. But uh, the individual is going to be spending, you know, four, four and a half hours on that bag is, um, right. you know, a, a caddy.
1: <laughs> right. And and you, you touched on something that's really kind of interesting. And, and I, I just want to maybe we can expand a little bit about that. You, you mentioned about some of the, uh, you know, relationships with, with some of the players. You know, I can think of a number, um, you know, Phil Mickelson comes to mind. You know, Bones was his caddy for uh, has been this caddy for many, many years and, and a real relationship develops, not just a, a relationship on the golf course, but obviously off the golf course. Um, but, but mm-hmm. that individual, again, doesn't just, you know, carry the bag and clean the clubs and, and, uh, you know, walk off yardage. Um, they're, uh, they're a confidant, uh, out in the golf course for them. They, you know, talk them off the ledge from time to time. They, um, you know, reassure them, uh, you know that they're making a, the decision that they've made. Ultimately, the player is going to make the decision how he or she is going to uh, maybe execute Absolutely. the shot or or play a specific hole. Um, but it's good to have a sounding board, and that's really another role that the, the caddies play. Um, so, so how uh, you know how do you develop uh, you know as a caddy? How do you develop that that sort of instinct, if you will? Obviously, you, you've got uh, specific training. Talk about some of the training um, that you would receive as a caddy through uh, through the program that you're referring to.
4: Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, the Western Golf Association, we're, as, as you mentioned, um, advocates for caddies and, you know, especially junior caddies creating opportunities for young people. So in order to do that, um, we actually offer a caddy manual, a caddy training um, video, as well as a caddy exam for free on our website just to, for anyone who's interested, just to to kind of, you know, many uh, young people who start off as caddies don't necessarily have uh, golfing background, so um, mm. tries to cover everything from etiquette to, you know, actual technique and whatnot. So, it's, um, you you can absolutely achieve some classroom-style caddy training, but um, the caddy programs that we're affiliated with around the country, many of them are going to actually offer on-course caddy training as well. Um, we offer, um, you know, s- somewhat separate to this particular conversation, the Caddy Academy um, that we run, we will provide um, classroom-style and extensive on-course caddy training as well for the participants just to make sure that they, um, you know, a lot of times a young person, the first time they step on a golf course sometimes is is during caddy training. So we want to make sure that they uh, build as much confidence in their ability and that confidence will continue to increase throughout the course of time and uh, play, you know, an important role with their relationship with golfers moving forward.
1: Yeah, and and that's so true, Um, you know, especially for for a lot of the juniors. I'm sure it's very daunting and a little even intimidating at first getting out on the golf course, especially if they've never been out on one before. Um, And obviously you're going to provide, you know, a substantial amount of training through the programs to help them through that transition. Um, Let's talk about Mm -hmm. the the Evans Scholar Foundation itself. Um, Can anyone apply? Uh, for that, uh, how does the process work, or are there certain requirements, and, and what would they be?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Evans Scholarship itself were, um, as you mentioned, started in 1930 with two Evans Scholars who uh, were awarded to Northwestern University. Um, last year, let's fast forward to last year, There were uh, we awarded 260 new recipients, which means uh, this fall we're actually going to, really when the next week or two or when most uh, students are moving back. Um we'll we'll have nine hundred and thirty five Evan scholars in school across the country on wow. full tuition and housing scholarships. Um the process wow. itself, the um the application uh recently went live on August first and uh you can apply as a senior in high school as uh, the vast majority of our applicants are seniors in high school and um you can also apply for a three-year scholarship if you're a freshman in college. However, the, the requirements themselves, the first thing that the committee is going to evaluate is um, the caddy record. So we mm-hmm. we require minimum two years of cadding. Our average is four years uh, for those right. who were awarded last year. Um, so it is competitive. It is very much a, a caddy scholarship. Um, the second thing, uh, the second requirement would be um, excellent academics. So we look at the entire high school transcript. We look at standardized test uh, scores and then um, evaluations that are completed by both the, the club, typically the caddy manager, as well as their high school guidance counselor to cover kind of the evaluations from uh, their caddying and high school academic careers. And then um, the third requirement would be demonstrated financial need. We understand everyone has need, especially when it comes to the rising cost of college tuition. We look at the right. degree of need, um, how it compares to our standards as well as um, how it compares to you know, this particular year's uh, applicant pool. So um, we look at uh, all the family financial information and look at um, any extenuating circumstances as well. And then uh, the final criteria would be um, we look for individuals of outstanding character and leadership. So mm-hmm. um, we're looking at what they do you know, leaders both in and outside the classroom. So looking for, you know, whether it's National Honor Society or Eagle Scouts or volunteers or uh, church ministries, whatever it might be. So we really look at, um, you know, well-rounded individuals who are uh, excelling in multiple facets.
1: Very good. Um, before I move on to the next, uh, so I guess, sort of a phase of this, I, I want to ask you specifically uh, I guess, um, as far as the, the colleges are concerned, are there specific colleges that um, that the WGA looks at for participation? Are there specific ones that uh, – or can can the students belong or, or be attending uh, or looking to attend, uh, uh, you know, essentially any college in in the nation? Sure. Uh, or are there certain yes. restrictions there as
4: well? That is a – that's a great question. We actually have restrictions on to where the – uh, Evan Scholarship is applicable. And the reason for that is we own and operate um, 15 different chapter houses around the country. So these are okay. um, Evans Scholarship homes where Evans Scholars live in freshman through senior year. So it's a pretty unique situation where it's, it's the only house on most campuses where a freshman would live with uh, with a junior or senior. And there's a lot of benefits to having exposure to um, upperclassmen, especially those who may be in the same um, field of study, um, and kind of helping, uh, determine class loads and, and academic directions that you want to take. Um, one of the things that is, you know, perhaps important to mention here is many of our scholars are first generation college students. So, um, I was, you know, I can speak firsthand. hand uh, my parents, um, although, you know, very, very smart and, uh, you know, incredibly hardworking. They, they did not have the opportunity. They're um, Irish immigrants, so they did not have the right. opportunity to go to uh, college stateside. And, um, you know, to a certain degree, entering college campus for the first time is uh, pretty daunting for anyone. But uh, if you don't have some of that exposure, it can be, um, you know, having a soundboard of, you know, upperclassmen who can help you, give you a tour of campus to, you know, where you should buy your books to, you know, this is how you apply for, you um, various um, you know various programs or whatever it might be and really getting um, new Evan scholars acclimated to not only the Evan scholarship house but really um, campus and college life. So um, so the to answer your question is, you know, the the scholarship is not applicable to every university. Um, you know we are there's are certain universities and a lot of it depends on which state you live in. But we have several national universities um, that would include, um, you know, Northwestern, Notre Dame,
1: um, oh, okay, Miami,
4: Miami, Ohio, and then um, you know, University of Oregon, as well as um, now Kansas is uh, oh, wow. a new partner for us. We're going back to Kansas um, after a 30-year. We'll call it a sabbatical, um, mm-hmm. but uh, we're we're excited to heading, be heading back to Lawrence um, this fall.
1: Fantastic. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that part of the, the WGA's mission and, and as well as the, uh, the foundation itself um, are going to look at opportunities to continue to expand th- that network. Is that something that's in the mix as well for future?
4: That is correct. So um, we have a pretty strong footprint in, in the Midwest. We have, uh, you know, we do have M Scholars at the University of Oregon. We just opened our, our house this fall. They're going to be moving in the next week. Um, in Eugene, so we're excited about that. Um, you know, as far east as we go, as of right now, it would be we have scholars living in community at Penn State. Um, however, we are looking to partner with universities in in the east as well to kind of, um, but that's part of the the growth plan for the Evan Scholars. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we have uh, 935 this fall. Our goal, and uh, we're on path to, you know, trajectory to get there. Is uh, to have it, a thousand Evans Scholars in school by the year 2020. So um, wow. with that comes um, more partner uh, universities, as well as um, you know the goals not to leave uh, any caddy behind. Very good.
1: Um, and and obviously, as you said, you're well on your way to to um, achieving that goal. I, I want to talk about uh, the the um, wga for a second uh specifically um as i mentioned the uh, the uh, earlier uh, opening notes, um I, I mentioned that there is um a, a number of uh, amateur a couple of amateur championships as well as uh participation through the bmw championship so i want to talk about the the uh, amateur championships first um what's the purpose of of the championships what's the involvement of the wga uh and and it's how is it something for, obviously I know what the BMW is, but, um, let's talk about first the, uh, the, um, amateur championships, the Western amateur and the Western junior, uh, explain to me what the purpose of these, these two championships for, uh, and is it open to anybody or is it for the caddies, uh, that are participating or what, what's the function of the two tournaments?
4: No, um, great question. The, the functions of the, the championships themselves is really to promote, um, you know, golf at every level, uh, for us. So, um, you know the the junior championship um, this year we held our our ninety ninth Western Junior up at uh, Red Run Golf Club in Royal Oak, and this is you know a, considered a very prestigious junior event. Um, and it's it's really kind of a the who's who in in junior golf. So it's the oldest right. national junior championship, um, which is absolutely fantastic. But this is incredibly competitive. Not too many. Uh, um, this is very much, you know, a, a national draw as well as, you know, an international draw to uh, the competitors in this. So this is more so to, um, you know, direct the, the WJ. You know, wants to make sure that we're fostering the game of golf as well um, and offering uh, championship-style tournaments for competitive golfers. So this the the junior and the AM is going to be more so directed for truly. Um, Competitive golfers at at those two levels. the the Western Am had a great week last week at Knollwood Club in Lake Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, uh, some have referred to the uh, the Western Am as kind of the Masters of amateur golf, right. especially stateside. So it is, um, again, if you look at those two trophies of the Western Junior and the Western Amateur, uh, you'll see, you know, the the stars of you know of today tomorrow and, and yesterday so we're uh, very very proud of um you know the, the efforts of the the tournament team and um as well as uh, the host sites to uh to make those events as special as they are
1: do they uh, just uh, since you mentioned host sites uh, are they held at the same uh locations each year or do they move around they do move around so um this
4: year um the the western man was at uh and and the the junior was at red run mm-hmm. they do they okay. do rotate um okay you know, um, every year
1: oh okay cool um now uh, let's talk a little bit about the relationship of the w g a and the b m w championship how did that come about how long has that uh, sort of relationship been been evolved uh and and how did it evolve into to what it currently is now sure um the b m w championship
4: is uh, kind of the, um, the, the new version of the, the Western open, which, um, from, for many Chicagoans, it was a, uh, a, a true treat to, to go out and, and, you know, there's a uh, many people that are, were, uh, affiliated with that, you know, have caddied in, uh, mm-hmm. in Western opens. This is one of the, the last, um, PGA tournaments that, uh, local caddies actually caddied in it, um, so it's a, a great tie. But again, you see some of um golf legends, you know, have won um the J. K. Wadley trophy, which continued not only from the Western Open but carried on to the BMW championship. So you're talking to Ben Hogans, the Arnold Palmer's, Jack Nicholas and Tigers, etc., have have won that event as well as uh, as well as Rory. Um, you know, last year um we've you know, we've had some great spins. Um and we're very blessed and fortunate with that. Um, but really the BMW championship in, uh bring over, especially with the, the FedEx Cup. Um, so now it plays uh, as the number three of four PGA right. um, playoff events. So it's the top 70 golfers in terms of uh, FedEx Cup points. Um, so the field is always fantastic. Um, one of the benefits of the tournament itself is there is no cut. So, um, if you're looking to, to, you know, if you're coming out to the BMW championship, if you want to follow a particular player, you can guarantee that you're going to see them uh, Thursday through Sunday. So it is uh, fairly unique in that perspective. We're excited. Uh, this year we got an, a, a great site at Crooked Stick Golf Club, which will be oh, okay. heading back into to Carmel, Indiana, um, in, in just a month from, from now. And, uh, you know, obviously we're we're gearing up for that, but all the proceeds from the the BMW Championship go um, to help offset the cost of tuition
1: for for the Evans Scholars. Oh wow, that's uh, yeah, that's fantastic, um, Mike. Let me ask you. Uh, you know, now that we've we've sort of established um, the, the process, if you will, of of um, you know applying for, for the scholarship, uh, and, and, uh, getting into to the foundation and that, um, let's walk through a little bit of, of what some things that, that one could expect to learn going through your program and how long is the program itself?
4: Okay. Um, are you saying the, the Evans Scholarship scholarship uh, specifically yes. or are you referring to the Caddy yes. Academy? Okay. The Caddy Academy. Um, okay. The Caddy Academy is a little bit different. The, um, so the Caddy Academy is actually a program that we just concluded our fifth summer of the Caddy Academy. And um, really the origin from that is it's, uh, we started five years ago because looking at our organization, as I mentioned, um, we're strong advocates for caddies. So, um, but looking at our, our program and some of our applicant pool, we were, we were noticing a couple of things and um, we wanted to knock down barriers of entry for caddies. So the number one barrier is really geography. Um, you know, right. well over half the country does not have access to a caddy program. So geography is something that, um, you know, especially if you if you looked at uh, and you mentioned it kind of earlier in uh, the segment today with the coach's corner, you know, if you're down in Florida right now, it's a tough season, you know, during, you know, all those schools out of session. Um, it's it's not exactly the ideal caddy season. Um, no. So if you look at uh, where many of our affiliated caddy programs are, they're really somewhat in the the Northern half of the country for the most part. Um, and that uh, mirrors the golf season aligns with the the school year. So that's kind of the reason behind that. So even with, with that being said, geography still certainly number one, um, barrier. The second one is really gender. So we estimate uh, less than 5% of caddies in the country are girls, young women or women. Um, so we want to create an opportunity for young women who, um, academically are excelling financially. They're in some need. Um, geographically they cannot get to a, uh, a caddy program. Um, so we created the caddy Academy five years ago and, um, we started off as a pilot program with 12 girls and fast forward to, uh, this year we had 80 young women, um, in the program and, uh, Getting at 12 different clubs in Chicago's North Shore. So it is a, a residential wow. program. So they actually commit to the seven weeks, and they actually – many of them are leaving, um, you know, whether it's um, Southern California, Atlanta, Philadelphia, D.C., Baltimore, um, you know, just outside of Detroit, um, Indianapolis, et cetera. And they're coming to commit to spending seven weeks with us during their summer Typically, they caddy six days a week um, mm-hmm. at the, at an assigned club, and um, we provide them breakfast in the morning. They get shuttled to their clubs um, by counselors, all of which are women evan Scholars. Some of which have actually graduated now from the caddy academy. Um, so we have kind of an in-house leadership um, spiral effect, which is you know something that's. Um, we're very very proud of. And then um, they caddy throughout the day. Uh, they get picked up in the afternoon by the counselors. They're brought home, and then uh, they're provided dinner at uh, at Woodlands Academy, which is where we uh, house the program, which is all girls boarding school in Lake That's Forest, right. which is centrally located to all their um, all the clubs that they're caddying at. So um, they throughout the you know in the evenings we also do a lot of off course. Um, programming, so we do offer an in-house standardized test prep class for those who are going to be juniors and seniors, so we'll be taking standardized test pre- uh, tests in, within the next school year, so we, we want to make sure that we're uh, helping them out as much as possible. Um, we also have guest speakers, typically about one a week, and all of our guest speakers are women, and they uh, will discuss topics uh, ranging from um, personal finance, um, uh, personal and professional development. We had a health and nutritionist coach come in and talk to us about healthy lifestyles. Um, and then we also do several field trips. So um, we've actually had, uh, we've had the opportunity to take the girls to um, professional baseball game. We've gone to uh, watch the White Sox a couple of times, um, you know, once every summer. We've also um, provide them with golf lessons. Most of them, um, they've never stepped down on a golf course prior to this program. Many of them have not been on a college campus. Some of them, their first flight was uh, the day that they arrived in the Caddy Academy. Um, <laughs> wow. So it's a lot of a lot of firsts. And then, um, you know, one of the things that we want to make sure that we do is expose them to the game of golf. And, um, you know, they get to caddy in some of the, you know, Chicago's finest caddy programs in, in golf clubs and country clubs. So um, they're getting a lot of, you know, they, live, they work in a really safe, secure, and healthy environment exposed to some great role models, um, but a lot of times they don't necessarily get to play all that much, so we actually provide them with golf lessons, and they find a, a newfound appreciation for how difficult golf is. Um, yep. So the uh, their appreciation for their golfers
1: after that is, uh, typically elevates as well. <clears throat> Fantastic, um, Mike. Let me ask you: um, Once uh, a, an applicant's gone through the process, they've they've um, received the the scholarship funding and so forth, um, and have now been part of the the caddy program. Um, does your organization offer um, any sort of assistance in placement? Like, for instance, you know, obviously. Uh, students that go through various colleges and that sometimes will have uh, placement agencies or things that will work with them to uh, help them in the particular field of interest. Do you offer something like that or do you have a way of guiding them into um, sort of the next phase of, of their uh, caddying life if they want to maybe uh, are interested in caddying on tour? Do you have an opportunity to, to um, work with maybe some of the tourists to, to get them out there and introduce sure. them to players and things like that? How, do you, how does that work?
4: Yeah, so um, in terms of, you know, the Evans Scholarship, we view it as kind of a, a lifelong program. It's very much goes well beyond the four years of college. Um, we actually have a leadership council who are made up of uh, many alums and, and some non-Evans Scholar alums who are, you know, young but, you know, industry leaders, whether it's in, you know, business, healthcare, et cetera. Um, and we'll actually line up um, – current Evan scholars with someone that's in their industry just to mm-hmm. talk about, um, you know, here's, if you're thinking about uh, banking, you want to consider this, or if you're thinking about consulting, you may want to consider this or whatever it might be. So they, you have kind of a, an advocate and a mentor before you graduate. So you can start lining up job interviews. You can kind of dial in your resume, go over interview techniques, etc., and really kind of um, everything from kind of reviewing your LinkedIn uh, profile to mm-hmm. um, you know i actually i understand you you 're really interested in um, you know the ABC incorporated I actually have a, a friend who 's over there so I can you know i 'd be happy to introduce you so um, we oh, do wow. try to line them up with um, with you know careers and, and jobs after college in terms of mm-hmm. uh, catting on tour um, we don 't have uh, we don 't have too many um, Evan Scholars caddying on tour. We do, you know, to a certain degree, we kind of view caddying as somewhat of a stepping stone job, and we understand how okay. tight that market is for tour caddies. Some of them are sure. have been doing that for, you know, several decades. Um, but we do absolutely um, honor caddies. We actually now administer the Caddy Hall of Fame, um, which is oh, wow. uh, so we actually uh, inducted. Um, the Murray brothers last year at the BMW championship, um, right after the the pro am round. Um, so that was, that was exciting. We've, uh, we've got several people, um, including, you know, obviously our, our very own Chick Evans who've been, uh, honored into that program.
1: Fantastic. Um, you know, I guess what's what's interesting about this is, you know, for for a long time, you know, we we watch, uh, and again, I'm going to refer to the tours, of course, the the LPGA and the, the PGA. Um, you know, we often see the caddies, and and, um, and and I guess here, as as more and more of them have become uh, better known to the golfing community, again, you know, I, I mentioned Bones, uh, who is uh, of course Phil Mickelson's caddy. Um, Mm -hmm. and then of course, Lee Trevino, um, his, his caddy, uh, unfortunately is no longer with us, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there was always such a close relationship. Uh, Freddie couples, another player. I mean, they all, obviously all the tour players, um, you know, many of them have their own, uh, caddies that they use on a regular basis. Some of them, uh, especially some of the junior golfers to the tour, um, may rotate that around depending on where they're playing. And as time goes on, they, they form those relationships. Um, do you see, as, as things progress with your organization, um, more and more opportunities for, for some of the, the individuals that have gone through your program, especially the women, uh, having more and more opportunities, not just uh, caddying throughout the various clubs that you work with, but maybe, uh, you know, opening up doors down the road, getting out on tour and that so that some of them can, can get access that way? Is there, is there a formula, if you will, that, uh, that you're working on maybe for, for future to, to open those doors? It's, it's funny you bring that. Um, they didn't necessarily
4: caddy in the event, but um, since the International Crown um, was actually in town this summer, we had the uh, opportunity to take the girls from the Caddy Academy and um, kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at an LPGA event. We um, got mm-hmm. kind of a, a tour of the media center as well as um, got to meet some of the players, and it definitely piqued an in interest in terms of, um, creating a pathway and kind of, uh, you know, creating a, a blazing a trail for some of the women in our program, the caddy and tour, that hasn't necessarily been something that's uh, really been one of our focuses as of right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, ex- expose, exposing them to uh, to golf and, and really to um, to industry leaders, whether they're in the golf industry or otherwise, that's really kind of been the, the focal point
1: for us as of late. Right. Well and again it's, it's essentially what you're doing is you're you're opening a door for them uh and and creating opportunities and and obviously how far they go uh is going to be obviously up to them but um no I, I think it's a great program it was very interesting you know when you when you look at um how golf is traditionally played now um you know it, it it's kind of in the mainstream it, it has gotten away with ex- obviously exceptions of what you're dealing with um, you know everybody's jumping in a, a golf cart and that and it's really a shame sure. because you know I, I think that there's um a, a, in my opinion a much better enjoyment i'll give you a good example um you know as we talked about earlier the, the caddies provide valuable information for many of the players and i think many amateurs um would benefit from playing courses that that offer uh, a, a caddy for a number of reasons first off um it's it's a it's a sort of a camaraderie that can be developed over, as you said, four or five hours, depending on how long they're playing. But also Mm -hmm. caddies have a great insight um, to the course itself. I mean, they're familiar with the course, especially if somebody's coming to play uh, a course that they've never played before. So there's a lot of opportunities. certainly you can get that, you know, you can get that information. I know from the, from the club pro and, and, and things like that, but again, it's very limited or, you know, yardage books and things like that. But um, again, you know, you're, you're developing uh, an opportunity really um, I would love to see more and more of that, and, and I hope that your organization uh, continues to grow and uh, as it, sound, it seems like it is, uh, and, and maybe we can get back to more of that type of format uh, in, in some of these other courses across the nation.
4: And, you know, we, we're firm believers, you know, carts and caddies can coexist. Um, sure. But when it, when it comes to, um, you know, an experience, you know, walking with, uh, you know, one of the coolest things that you can see is um, looking down a fairway and seeing four golfers with four caddies walking. Um yep. you know, I'm again I'm biased but that's that's about as <laughs> good as it One of the one of the things that, you know, shouldn't be downplayed is um when it comes to taking a caddy, it is you know, it's four hours to have them truly impact your round, you know, whether it's a blind shot or, you know, this putt is gonna have a tendency to go right to left or just local knowledge. But uh it right. is an absolute opportunity for um golfers to, you know, really take on you know, although it's uh it's a short window, but it's it, that four hours can play a critical role for uh for a young person, especially, you know, just learning a little bit more about what uh, someone does for a living or um getting some, you know, advice about, you know, maybe they graduated from university that they're considering or whatever it might be. It is uh it's very much a two way street.
1: Hmm. You know, we're always looking, and in, in, uh, as some of my colleagues that, that were on earlier tonight on, on the Coaches Corner panel, uh, one of the reasons why I, I started that for the for the show a few years ago. Um, was really to to bring a number of like-minded people together. And, you know, we don't just talk about, you know, fixing the golf swing or we don't just talk about some of the things going on in the industry. Um, We're really looking for ways to grow the game. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities to get into. You know, golf is one of the few games left that really is not, other than at certain collegiate level and and, uh, obviously high school, is is one of the few sports that really is not deeply embedded in the school system. I mean, we've got football, we've mm-hmm. got basketball, many of the other sports out there. And I, I would really like to see an opportunity um, to, to get golf into sort of the general school, uh, even the public school system in, in a greater way. Do you think there's an opportunity that maybe your organization, whether uh, WGA or others, that maybe would be a great way to introduce kids to golf, um, you know, through exposure, maybe doing, um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but um, where maybe representatives from your organization uh, and also maybe some of the the, the students that have gone through the program could maybe visit local schools uh, and Mm -hmm. just talk to them about. Do you do that now? Is that something you're currently doing? Or is that something that maybe in the future you might
4: yeah, it's actually so I know that the um, I know the first tee, especially in the Chicago area, I can speak of. Um, they've gone into some of the, some of the schools to to you know kind of take over a, a recess or whatever it might be to um, you know to really kind of introduce the game of golf to in in a in a fun and sure. kind of safe, uh, uh, embarrassment-free, embarrassment-free right. environment. <laughs> um Right. But you know, one of the things for I heard it a couple of times this year from the Caddy Academy is some of the girls actually come into our program and uh, they'll literally, they will tell us, um, and this is a quote, they thought uh, golf wasn't necessarily a real sport. It was something that, you know, it was basically manufactured by Hollywood just for movies. Um, right. So, so right. They, and then those, those same individuals will go on and um, pick up golf as, as a caddy and then, trying to hone in their game a little bit. And we have a couple of girls through the kid. can we actually now play on their high school teams. Um, and they did not, they were not introduced to the game of golf prior to, you know, our, our seven week summer program.
1: Um, you know, I but, could see, sorry, go ahead.
4: Finish your thought. Oh, well, um, you know, I think, you know, in terms of introducing, uh, we, we feel that introducing individuals to the game of golf, one of the best routes, you know, certainly, you know, if you're if you're a country club member, great junior golf programs there are are absolutely fantastic. That's probably one of the, you know, how do you create lifetime golfers? That might be one of the top ways right there. Um, but a lot of lifetime golfers also come from the other side of the bag as well, start off mm-hmm. as caddies and kind of get an appreciation for the game, and then kind of maybe utilize some, you know, Monday caddy rounds or whatever it might be that uh, that's made available for them. So. We try to develop golfers really from uh, from the other side of the golf
1: bag. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I guess the thought that I was having was that, you know, I could see really an opportunity, um, again, with, with the, the WGA or, uh, you know, could really kind of create a, an opportunity with the school systems and maybe started out in the Chicago area. I mean, obviously, I, I know First Tee does many things, and there's many other junior programs um, that are, are currently trying to tap into the school system, but you know, I, I could see really a lot of people don't understand uh, as as I mentioned earlier, maybe exactly what a caddy does. I could see you know maybe an opportunity where uh, inviting students from some of the local schools out to, to be a caddy, you know, in the life, of a, you know, in the life of a caddy or something for for a day, um, and invite them out and show them exactly what's involved, and just you know sort of start and pique that interest um, in golf in general, but doing it through, as you said, from the other side of the bag, um, I don't know whether that's something that, uh, would be feasible or not, but, uh, I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool. I think if, you know, if, if, uh, your organization was to attend, uh, maybe some of the, the schools and, and invite, uh, you know, some of the students out there just to sort of, um, plant that seed, if you will, I think you, you might uh, be, might be surprised at how many would, would maybe gravitate to, to your programs. Yeah, that absolutely. maybe would have, that maybe would have never thought, you know what I'm saying? Like that maybe you've never been exposed to golf, maybe you don't really understand um you know, they see as you said, they see what's in in you know Hollywood puts out or they see what's on the PGA or LPGA tours, um but they don't really see it from from the other side of the bag as you, as you pointed out. So I don't know, it might be yeah. something to to consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh um so obviously you you went through the program and I think you mentioned your your wife as well. Um, what were some of the things that you took away from the program that, uh, maybe some, some memories that, that you have, uh, from going through, uh, the caddy program itself. And obviously, uh, as you mentioned you were an Evans scholar graduate.
4: Yeah, absolutely. My, um, I mean, without a doubt, I've, a uh, I have a, a twin brother who, um, you know, being able to, our first jobs were caddies. So having the opportunity to, um, to go spend a summer working with, uh, alongside my twin, and then making, you know, some of our lifelong friends through uh through the caddy yard. And there's some life experiences that you'll uh you know are best learned in the caddy yard. Um but then you know there's there's an opportunity to uh, you get a new boss every day so you get the, the mm-hmm. opportunity to uh, interact with uh you know a lot of different people and a lot of different types of people throughout uh throughout your time as a caddy. So being able to manage different uh Personalities or personality types, different um, skill sets of golfers, and uh, making sure that uh, you're doing your best to really kind of identify what they're looking for. Maybe it's just a after round or after work, you know, round of golf that they're mm-hmm. um, they're just looking to really kind of let their hair down and have fun a little bit. Or um, you know, it could be the club championship, and you know, they're they're looking to bring home some hardware. Um, that they're looking for you know any any help that they can give, so. It was, it was cool to be able to, um, play a role in, in, in a job where, um, you know, although you're working hard, you're not necessarily the, the focal point of uh, right. I think that's important, especially growing up and having the opportunity to, you know, learn some humility, especially early on in life <laughs> is, is critical. Um, yeah. but then, you know, fast forward again, um, beyond fortunate to have been awarded the Evans scholarship and, um, you know again some of my my lifelong friends uh, aside from you know my wife uh, coming mm. from the the Marquette Evans scholarship house i was uh very very fortunate and still fortunate to be um to be able to call those individuals uh friends and i've benefited from their experiences like i said i i didn't necessarily have um you know there's a lot of us were going through uh, similar experiences, you know, being away from home for the first time or whatever it might be, um, and kind of right. having that network and that uh, that kind of security blanket to kind of lean on, especially uh, in your, your first semester or first year in colleges was kind of critical
1: yeah it's it, it's certainly scary for a lot of kids as, and you know we're here we're we've geared up for for another season for many of the kids gone away now for for college some of them are not starting for another week or so depending on where they are in the country but it, it certainly can be very daunting and it's nice to have um sort of a shared uh, camaraderie if you will and, and it sounds like you guys have got a great uh, you know, working, working with a great organization and and for a great cause um michael i want to just thank you very much for for coming on tonight. Uh, again, I appreciate uh, you doing so. And, and 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 this is really an area that I haven't really talked a lot about on the show as of yet. We've talked about many things from the instructional side, and I've had a number of, uh, of very highly talented entrepreneurs in the golf industry come on, but we really haven't had anybody from this uh, area. So I, I really appreciate coming on tonight and, and talking a little bit about um, oh. your caddy program and about the Evan Scholar Foundation. Uh, and obviously, yeah, the Western Golf Association. I appreciate your time very much. Yeah, this is a treat. Ted. Thank you
4: very much, and thanks for uh, thanks for what you're doing. And um, honestly, anytime. And uh, you know, certainly appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, I, I'll tell you what. What I'd like to do, and and uh, I know we didn't get a, an opportunity to do it this time, but uh, I'd like to, you know, maybe have you come back again and and uh and maybe get some of the uh the folks that have gone through the program and maybe even some of the ones that are currently going through the program and maybe invite them to come on as well for for a little bit of a discussion and and share some of their thoughts and some of their experiences Absolutely. um that they've had so we'll, we'll we'll set that up uh for a little bit down the road um maybe we'll we'll work Absolutely. that into to the new year but uh, i i would definitely love to do that and and uh you're you're you've got a home here so you're welcome to uh, to come back anytime and and uh Thank share. Very much. and as you yeah, and as, as new things uh, unfold uh, with your, your organization, um, just you know, reach out to me, and and uh, I'll do what I can to to help uh, spread the word. Um, which reminds me, how can those that are interested maybe learning more? Uh, you, you mentioned earlier website. Uh, what's the website yeah. link, and where can they go to learn more about uh, the Evans Scholar Foundation and also the Western Golf Association?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Our uh, our website is W G A E S F dot org. So like Western golf association, Evans, scholars, foundation.org. So all of our information pertaining our, our championships, our scholarship, as well as the, the caddy Academy, caddy training materials, all that is uh, located right at that website. So happy to, uh, you know, and, you know, obviously our contact information is there as well as if, if anyone has any questions.
1: Perfect. Um, uh, again, Mike, thank you very much for taking the time to, to join me this evening. I know it's not always easy after you finish a hard day of work to have to uh, come and chat for an hour, but uh, you know this is a, it's a great game, and we enjoy it very much, and I enjoy doing what I'm doing as well, So, um, and it's a, a pleasure and honor to, to talk with some great guests like yourself.
4: Excellent. Happy to do it. Thank you so much.
1: Truly an honor. All right. All right. Um, thank you, Mike, and have a great weekend, and uh, I look forward to having you join me again on Golf Talk Live.
4: All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: All right, bye-bye. Okay, that was my very special guest. Uh, as we wrap up here for another evening, uh, Mike Meyer, uh, the Director of Education for the uh, Western Golf Association's uh, Evans uh, Scholar Foundation. And a uh, very interesting program, and I and, uh, hope we, we covered a little bit uh, tonight. And as he mentioned, you can uh, visit their website, which is uh, WGA. Uh, esf.org. you can learn more information there so that again the website link is www.wgaesf.org you can learn more about uh, both the evans uh, scholars foundation and of course the western golf association Um, i want to thank again my my uh, coaches corner panel earlier tonight uh, john hughes allison kurt and brandon Stukesbury. Um, I know we had a fourth plan. Michael Wheeler, unfortunately had something uh, come up last minute that he had to, uh, to cancel out, but uh, we'll get him on the next time. Um, but I want to thank those, uh, guys for, for coming on and, and for Allison as well, for coming on and, and sharing some great insight. And I hope you guys learned something here as well on the program. So thanks uh, for pitching in on the coach's corner, uh, tonight. And I will be back here next Thursday with uh, a brand new panel and uh, a brand new guest, uh, for the second half right here in Golf Talk Live. So make sure you tune in, go to www.blogtalkradio.com and type up in the search key. Excuse me, you can type in uh, Golf Talk Live and that will bring you to the main page. And for those of you that weren't able to listen to the broadcast tonight live, if you go to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live is the full link. Um, You can scroll down to the on-demand section and you can listen to Uh, Any of the previous programs, including tonight, they're all auto-recorded, so you can go and listen to them when it's convenient for you, and hear some great discussion and and, uh, some great guests as well. Uh, And I want to take this opportunity, as I always uh, try to do, and sometimes I I remiss my my duties here, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of my listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in each week uh, to Golf Talk Live. I, I, I really sincerely mean this from the bottom of my heart. I have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, uh, teaching professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs stop by, and now uh, a, a, a great uh, education program, a caddy program as well. So I've had uh, that on the show as well. And we're going to keep moving the, the needle forward. And I like the fact they're reaching out to the uh, opposite sex, to the women as well, and getting them involved in and doing some great work with the juniors as well. So uh, kudos to the Western Golf Association and the Evans Scholars Foundation as well for, for all their great work and and uh, and uh, Growing this game, um, but I, again, I want to thank the listeners, particularly for for tuning in each and every week and and making helping to make Golf Talk alive a first class show. I also want to thank some of the sponsors and supporters of my program, uh, in addition to all the listeners. Uh, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, for tuning in uh, and for helping pitching out here as well. Uh, if you're interested in one of uh, obtaining one of uh, Jonathan's guide, he has a great publication. It's called South Coast golf guide, go to southcoastgolfguide.com and uh, you can request a copy of that guide. If you're not uh, currently in the uh, the southeastern part of the United States, uh, you can request, uh, and Jonathan will be more than happy to send you a copy. Or if you're planning on a trip, as we talked about earlier in Coach's Corner, if you're planning on taking a trip uh, down here in the southeast and you want to um, uh, get a a copy of the guide for uh, purposes of, of checking out some of the great golf courses right from, literally from Texas, uh, all the way across here to Florida. Uh, has a great list of uh, some courses there um, that you can play. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, Meredith Kirk, of course, from Meredith Kirk Golf and uh, Endless Golf of Myrtle Beach Magazine. Uh, she's part of that magazine as well, and she was the 2014 Mrs. South Carolina uh, winner as well. She's a great LPGA uh, professional instructor uh, out from the uh, Myrtle Beach area, and she's going to be joining me here Uh, The last Thursday of the month, I believe it's the 25th of this month, uh, she's going to be coming on and talking about a new book that she's coming out with um, literally just uh, weeks ahead. So uh, make sure you tune in for that as well. Meredith, thank you for all of your continued support, and I look forward to uh, our time together. Uh, a little bit later in the month. Uh, Also, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, uh, thank you for always uh, helping to spread the word. And I know I've mentioned this many times in previous shows, I am going to get Nikki on the show. It's just been very, very tough to coordinate our schedules. Now he's a very, very busy man. Uh, And his lovely wife, Tiffany, as well. Thank you for all of your continued support of the program and spreading the word. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Uh, Go to onticgolf.com. Great line of uh, customized putters. Uh, Bernie, of course, is the founder and owner of ontic golf thank you for all of your continued support as well uh mr sean kelly owner of linked uh linked golf uh golfers of course is the largest golf group on linkedin which is a, a huge uh, uh business social media site uh linked golfers is uh his baby if you will he started that on uh linked golfers um uh, sorry linkedin and uh brought that out uh Uh, to a a different social media platform as well so that uh, the folks can get a little more in personal with some of the the people that part of that group. And uh, thank you, Sean, for all of your continued support. And of course, my, my good friend, last but not least, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle golf solutions uh, over in Ireland. Uh, Thank you for faithfully tuning in and and helping to spread the word as well. And on that note, I want to thank again, everybody for tuning into the show. Uh, I look forward to seeing you each and every week here on, uh, on golf talk live. So I will see you next Thursday at 6 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody. Have a great weekend.